You've reached the Onkin Radio Podcast. Nick Onkin here, exploring the world from creativity, consciousness, and everything in between to help you alchemize your life to its fullest expression. Hello, fellow Earthlings. Welcome to another episode of the Onkin Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And this week, I'm excited to bring to you this guest. His name is Gary Zukov. Gary, I've been uh, reading his books for a while now. He is he's four consecutive New York Times bestsellers. Uh, what he's probably the best known for is Seat of the Soul, uh, which I found on, uh, I think I listened to something with him on Oprah about it, but this guy's been on the Oprah show 34 times since 1998. And his work is really, really beautiful. He talks about going from five sensory human being being a five sensory human to becoming a full a multi sensory human, and then all the way up to a universal human, which is what his new book is called, Universal Human. So we talk a bit about that in the episode, what that looks like, the journey to becoming a universal human. Gary's amazing. He is such a beautiful soul and a kind, kind man. He wrote a book called Spiritual Partnership, which we also touch on in today's episode. And I've read that. I'm actually, no, I've been kind of moving through that one over recently. And it's it's all about spiritual partnerships in relationships, you know, like romantic relationships, but also just friendships. And they're, they're partnerships that we guys were two people are dedicated to each other's growth, both spiritually and together. And we are all mirrors for each other. We mirror each other. We attract people into our lives that mirror where we're at and what we need to learn. Sometimes it's not always the most comfortable thing. However, mirrors are how we grow and that's what spiritual partnerships are. So we touch on that. And part of being a universal human or a uh, multi-sensory human is really having that perspective of utilizing relationships as a way to grow spiritually and emotionally and all the things. He and his co-founder started the Soul Institute, Linda Francis, and that is, you can find that online. Uh, if you go to, to garyzukov.com, I believe it's seatofthesoul.com as well. You can find information there um, on the Soul Institute, but it's all about personal growth. Gary is all about helping people step into their authentic power. And this is something that I've been talking a lot about recently in, in a little bit different language in languaging. And, you know, I think for me, we talked a little about the, the uh, following the white rabbit. And for me, that's kind of like the term that I use into diving deeper into the universe inside of you and finding a way to create power from within. Because when we are looking to external validation, and external things to fill us up will never be satisfied. And getting to a place where we are coming from a loving intention versus a fearful intention is a the space that creates authentic power. Because so many times, and, and think about this, it's a big topic of the podcast interview, but think about how many times you do something out of a fearful intention. If you really, really dig deep, what are you doing that's coming from fear and what are you deciding that's coming from love? And that is, it all boils down to that. 
a couple other notes that are interesting with Gary. He was a Green Beret in the military and special forces, which I find fascinating. And he went from that to writing one of his first books, The Dancing Wooly Masters, an overview of the new physics. And I'm excited to check this book out, actually, in kind of talking about physics and the quantum field and spirituality and how they kind of all intermix. And that's all part of being a multi-sensory human and becoming a universal human. So with that, let's jump in to the interview. I'll bring you Gary Zukov, guys. All right. We are back with another episode of Onkin Radio. I've got Zary, Zary. <laughs> I've got Gary Zukov here, and we we have been navigating the uh, funny frequencies of of the uh, audio world here. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Thank you for coming on, and I I love your your work and your books, and it's been uh, they've been truly inspiring to me, and it's been interesting to kind of go through a little bit of universal human and really understand and see some of the process that I've gone through over the last few years. So I'm excited to dive into that, but I would love to hear from you kind of what sparked your spiritual journey. You know, like what what was the? I, th- I feel like we all have these cosmic bricks that get thrown at us at a certain point in our lives that cause us to look deeper and to explore further and different levels of consciousness. So what was that for you? It wasn't a single thing. And so my life early was spent in quite a bit of pain without any evident or visible reason to me. I had a lower middle-class family that loved me, Mm -hmm. did all they could to support me. I grew up in a small town in Kansas didn't like uh, looking at people when they talked. They intimidated me. And then I got a scholarship to Harvard. And so I decided to go there. And uh, that was quite a challenge because I went from being in the upper one or two percentile of my high school class (laughs) to the lower one or two percentile at Harvard. (laughs) (laughs) But nothing there triggered any spiritual development either. Then I went into the army. And I always like to go to the heart of things. So I thought if I'm going to go into the military, I'm going to go, I'm going to fly fighters from an aircraft carrier. But my vision didn't permit that. So I enlisted in the army and the heart of the army is the infantry. And once I got into the infantry, I became a paratrooper because that's the heart of the infantry. And then I decided that I wanted to be a Green Beret. And so I applied, but the problem was I was in basic training when I was told that uh, I had an appointment to officer candidate school and I could take that or I could become an an enlisted man in the Green Berets. And I'd had enough of cleaning dishes by that time. (laughs) I'll I'll take the commission. And then when I was in OCS, we all got our assignments. And mine was to the first special forces group on Okinawa. I was going to become a Green Beret officer as a second lieutenant. Now, here's the thing, Nick, that's impossible. The Army has something called a table of occupational specialties. And you can't be in the special forces unless you're at least a first lieutenant. But that's what my orders said, and that's where I went. Mm. 
I went to Vietnam. I got out of Vietnam, did treasure hunting in the Florida Keys. I was working with a crew. They had the license to uh, look for a galleon that sank in 1733 with a lot of gold aboard. Wow. We didn't find it. But there were, I was working with the team on a tender boat, 12 of us. Six would dive. It was in shallow water. Six would dive. The others would tend. They'd come up after a few hours and switch mm-hmm. rules. That didn't stimulate at all any spiritual development. <laughs> I love living in Florida, but that didn't either. By the way, during all of this time, I was addicted to sex. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wound up in San Francisco. And uh, there, the addiction remained constant. I love sex with women. I can't really say I love sex with women. I needed it. Mm. I needed it. And this needing was always there. It might be satisfied for a little while, but it came back. That should have been my first clue that there's something more than women and sex involved. There's something insatiable involved. So there I was in San Francisco, and I got invited to a meeting of physicists at the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory. Mm an unusual group called the Fundamental Physics Group that a, this special woman had put together, Elizabeth Rauscher. And she spelled it Fundamental Physics, F-Y-S-I-C-S group. And they, <laughs> and they met every Friday. And they were some of the finest theoretical physicists in the world. Wow. And the Friday afternoon that I went, they weren't speaking quantitatively. They weren't discussing mathematical formalisms. They were discussing qualitatively. And the question they were asking themselves was, are we creating the reality that we're experimenting with? Oh, that I loved it. I loved it because that was the question that I was discussing with my friends in the coffee shops in North Beach. Except we were in a coffee shop and they were the finest physicists in the world, some of them. Henry Stapp, the Senior theoretical physicist at LBL was in the group. Jeff Chu, who was running the department down the hill in Berkeley, UC Berkeley. And I came back from that meeting just so exhilarated, so excited. I felt as though I'd had two cups of cappuccino and, and they were sparking off my fingertips, zapping. Yeah. But I could not explain what it excited me so. So I asked him if I could come back. And they all said yes. And after a while, I decided that I wanted to give a gift of what I was learning. I wouldn't be involved in physics indefinitely. I knew that. But I started reading, going to the used bookstores in Berkeley, finding just the right books. Whatever I was looking for, there it was, used. And I asked them if they would help me write a book on physics to give as a gift to liberal arts majors like me, people who had no interest in science, zero. And couldn't really do mathematics. No way that I could handle uh, the calculus. I couldn't even handle multiplication. <laughs> I mean, it was, it's not my strength. But they all said yes. They were so gracious. So I started to write. Now, here's where something interesting happened. As I started to write, I laid an outline with chapters in it. And for each chapter, I made an outline. And as soon as I started writing, which was a new experience I'd never written before. I discovered that my interest and the energy always went in a different place than the outline. Hmm. And so I discarded the outline. I went with the energy. 
And it was really a wonderful experience. Now, about six months later, I had about six chapters written. I'd write for four or five or seven days. And then I'd be back to looking for sex and wondering if the miracle of the rent, how it was going to happen this month. And then I'd get back to the book and I loved it. I loved it. I woke up for it. I went to sleep thinking about it. And here's the thing. When I looked at those six chapters, I realized they all fit together like I'd planned it. But I didn't plan it. I threw the outlines away. So how did that happen? And that's when I began to realize that I wasn't creating alone. Mm. And I began to discover a lot of other things. It's not possible to be alone. Mm. So there's no sense in suffering from aloneness. Mm. I discovered that every creation is a co-creation. And I am, I'm not a channel, and I wasn't a channel, but I was involved. I was involved, and I brought all of my talent, maybe past lives as a scribe. But I know that language has always been wonderful for me. I, I love languages. I love clothing concepts with words, insights with words. And I didn't know what was happening, but I loved it. I liked it. I told my friend, a friend of mine who was a Jungian psychologist, what was happening. And she said, oh, Gary, stay away from that. You don't know what you're stepping into. Hmm. Well, that was what she thought. That's <laughs> not what I thought. I said, not only am I stepping into this, I'm all in. Yeah. Whatever I'm involved in, I want my life to be lived. I want to live my life the way this book is being written, spontaneously, intelligently joyfully. And I've succeeded to a certain extent, but it was all new to me then. Now that was the first glimpse of something spiritual in my life. Mm. And having had that and what I've learned in the years following, I had signals in my life earlier, and you might have had some too. Well, let me skip ahead a little bit. What I've discovered is that there is a major, that's an understatement, there is an unprecedented and epic transformation of human consciousness that is in motion now. And it has been for about a generation. Mm. And within just a few generations more, everyone will be touched by this transformation. This is happening explosively with a startling velocity. Mm. Our evolution to now has plotted along through 300,000 years. And now, it's arriving faster than an eye blink, faster than a heart blink on a scale of evolutionary time. And this expansion of consciousness is the expansion of our perception beyond the limitations of the five senses. The five senses together form a single system and its object of detection is physical reality. Now we have another system. We're multi-sensory. All right, my friend, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, and it is one of my favorite brands, Organifi. Uh, as you know, I'm all about putting healthy things into my body and using different supplements and things to get the nutrients that I need uh, when I can't always have access to them through other means of vegetables and things like that. So one of my favorite uh, mixtures is something that I like to mix three of their products together. It's the pure, the red juice, and the green juices. And it's a power pack of nutrients in the morning 
Um, so I've been doing this every morning. And what's been great is I've been taking it on my travels so that I can keep some daily nutrients with me, especially when it's a very travel schedule. I don't always have access to foods that I want to eat. Um, so it's a great staple, great way to um, bring things on the road. They have little travel packs too, which is perfect. So you can just drop them in, mix them with water, and they're delicious. Less than three grams of sugar, uh, which is very, very little, and it's all organic. Either way, no processed sugars. Uh, so the green juice, which is great, is just you get your daily doses, your daily dose of nutrients that you need. You just mix it with water. There's 11 superfoods like ashwagandha, morninga, chlorella, spirulina, turmeric, and much more. The red juice is a superfood berry blend that contains adaptogens, antioxidants, and a clinical dose of cordyceps mushrooms, which is highly, highly beneficial to you. There's 13 superfoods for energy support like beets, blueberries, acai, pomegranate, Siberian ginseng, reishi mushrooms, rhodiola, and more. So it gives you a bunch of energy without the caffeine. Um, and then Pure. Uh, Pure is about promoting gut health and the morning brain fog is very helpful. It promotes healthy BDNF levels and mental clarity. For those of you that don't know what that is, I didn't. I had to look this up. Uh, Brain-derived neurotropic factor. It's the key molecule involved in plastic changes related to learning and memory. So neuroplasticity, things like that. Uh, what's great, it's infused with lion's mane and coffee berry. Got baobab from an African fruit that contains 10 times the amount of vitamin C that oranges do. It's got apple cider vinegar to improve gut health. Contains all kinds of other goodies like aloe vera, ginger root, monk fruit, digestive enzymes, and more. So you can go check this out, uh, Organifi.com. That's with an I uh, at the end, not a Y. And you can use the code ONKEN, O-N-K-E-N, for 15% off at checkout. I'll give you some examples of multisensory perception because hundreds of millions of people are becoming multisensory. For example, and I believe you're one of them, Nick. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to be on your podcast. And I believe many of the people that are your listeners are also. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had the sense that you're more than a body and a mind? You're more than molecules and enzymes, muscles and neurotransmitters. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That there's a part of you that existed before you were born and that exists after you die. In other words, you have a mortal component. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a multi-sensory perception. Absolutely. Have you ever had a sense that the world around you is not perhaps entirely random? I mean, everybody has synchronistic experiences, but have you ever had the sense that maybe it's all like this all the time and I'm just getting a glimpse of it here and there? It's meaningful. It, it's symbolic. And I can watch not learn about the world, learn about me. That's a multi-sensory perception if you've had it. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean well-articulated like this. I mean just the sense of it, mm -hmm. the sense that there's something here. Yeah. Have you ever had a sense that the universe isn't, as I learned, I did have one science class in high school, physics, and there I learned that the universe is vast, dark, cold, and merciless. Have you ever had the sense that maybe it's alive? Maybe it's compassionate. Maybe it's wise. That's a multi-sensory perception. 
So I love telling people, if you're having these experiences, and there's lots more, lots more, you're not crazy, you're not unbalanced, you're becoming sane, you're becoming aware. You're entering a larger dimension of yourself and of the universe, which ultimately are the same. So having known that and discovered that, I could look back at my earlier life and see things that could have, could have told me, but I didn't have a way to, to context them, put them in a context. For example, my favorite grandmother, and I think I was her favorite grandchild too. We used to have a deep times together and fun times. Mm-hmm. She'd take me out for dinner once in her place where she lived in a wonderful restaurant. And afterwards, she'd take me out and into a sea of gray hair. And she'd say, Gary, you remember Mr. Bernstein, don't you? And then she and I, you remember, Margaret, you remember Gladys Goldfein? Mm-hmm. And if I didn't say, mm-hmm, she'd jerk down on my hand and she'd say, she would shush me. Well, quite a few years later, when I was at her funeral, I was watching from an alcove in the funeral home. And the rabbi was talking to a group in front of him. And I was watching him from the side through a closed circuit monitor. Now, in those days, Nick, closed circuitry, closed circuit TV was so novel. <laughs> it made me laugh. And Grandma Libby jerked my hand down and she said, she didn't want me interrupting her funeral. She wanted to listen to it. If you've ever had an experience like that, by the way, that's multisensory. Right. But I didn't recognize it. This all started when you said, when did you start becoming <laughs> stepping onto a spiritual path? Yeah, no, and I love hearing the story. It's, it's, it's beautiful. So keep, keep telling the story. Well, I did write the book. It was called The Dancing Wooly Masters, an overview of the new physics. It won the American Book Award for Science. It was in every book club that existed. Mm. And I got a big head. But not the way some people get a big head. Which is, I'm important. I'm intelligent. Listen to what I have to say. It was just the opposite. I'd say, oh, no, this is nothing really. But it was a big thing. Yeah. I didn't know how it happened. So I just I went to work on another book. And this one I called Physics and Consciousness. And it turned into a trilogy. I wanted to show the basic identity, structural identity between quantum physics and depth psychology. I thought, this, this will put me on the map. Well, it didn't because I didn't finish it. <laughs> About seven years into it, I realized the non-physical reality that I had discovered writing The Dancing Wooly Masters really came into my life, front and center. And I wound up writing a book about evolution, about reincarnation, about the soul. And it was called The Seat of the Soul. And uh, it was so different. Everyone expected me to write a sequel, A Son of Wooly Masters, about another cutting-edge aspect of science, maybe genetics. But I wrote this book. And just before I wrote it, I had these misgivings. I had them all along. I said, what's the New York Times going to do when they read this? <laughs> They're just going to tear it apart. But I heard a voice, a voices that I'd become accustomed to by then, that are really the source of all the wise things that I enjoy sharing. And the voice said, don't concern yourself with that. 
this arrow will find its mark. Mm. So by that time, it wasn't possible for me to begin to behave or think or perceive like a five sensory human anymore, whose only goal was more sex, another motorcycle, experimenting with drugs, becoming admired. I thought becoming a Green Beret officer would make me admired. I thought it would make me lovable. It was taking me in the wrong direction. <laughs> I didn't see that at the time. So that's a bit of a long answer to your question, but it wasn't a single thing. My journey has been incremental, but human consciousness can change in a moment. Just like that. Yeah. Take, take the example of Lech Walesa, who became the first president of the Free Poland after the fall of the Iron Curtain. He was a shipyard worker. And at a, at a riot, at, not a riot, but a demonstration there, suddenly he felt inspired to climb a fence and hurtle across it, a high chain link fence, and to lead the protest. And he kept doing that. And he became the first leader of Poland after the fall of the communist Soviet Union. So your, your consciousness can be that way too. But I've discovered that mine, expanding my consciousness, requires work. This new consciousness that we have is a gift from the universe. You don't have to develop it, although we will. You just open it and use it. Now, it brings potential with it, new potential. And that new potential is a new understanding and experience of power. The old understanding of power is the ability to manipulate and control. The new understanding of power is the alignment of your personality with your soul, with harmony, cooperation, sharing, and reverence for life. That's what brings satisfaction. That's all it can. That's all it will. Now, how do you do that? I mean, um, we're headed toward love. Everybody in the new age either knows that or says it or both, but how do you do it? Well, if you're feeling good, it's fun. But how do you love when you're angry? How do you love when you're jealous? How do you love when you want vengeance? How do you love when you want to kill someone? How do you love when you want to kill yourself? These are the questions that are meaningful. The only way to move yourself into love is to find, experience, and move beyond the control of every part of your personality that objects to loving, that does not know loving, that does not care about loving, that cares about itself, whose sole intention is to change the world for its own benefit. And I'm not talking just about avaricious bankers. Some people just want the latest skis or another mountain bike. Some people want the fashion. Some people want the right partner. Some people want dreadlocks that go down to their waist. Anything to make them feel better than someone else. By the way, this is where racism, classism, sexism, caste, all of it comes from there. From needing to feel superior in the earth school. And all of that now has no attraction for a multi-sensory human. But multi-sensory humans have frightened and loving parts. And the only way to move beyond the control of these frightened parts is to become aware of them through emotional awareness. I mean, really become aware of them, not just saying, I hate you, I'm angry, I'm happy, I'm bitter, I'm jealous, I'm buoyant. 
No, no, that, that's not emotional awareness. That's just throwing labels around. Yeah. Every painful emotion, emotional pain, comes with physical painful sensations. Heartache is not metaphorical. It's real. Whenever you're in a part of your personality that's destructive, you can put your attention in certain parts of your body. And in this case, say your throat, your chest, your solar plexus area. And be patient and look, and you'll find painful physical, physical sensations, sensations that stab or burn or churn or throb or ache. That's how you know that fear is present in you. That's how you know that while you act with that energy, you're not going to create love and you're not going to experience it. In other words, there's no way that you're ever going to give the gifts you were born to give from any of that energy. And that's what everyone wants. Now, there's other parts of your personality that are already aligned with your soul. And you experience them as gratitude, appreciation, caring, contentment, patience, all of the universe. And when you act on that energy, which feels blissful, which feels good, you want more of it, you create constructive consequences in your life. This is how you create authentic power. You become able to distinguish within yourself the difference between fear, which we'll call the painful experiences and destructive experiences, and love, which we'll call the good feeling and constructive experiences, and then develop the ability to choose love all the time, no matter what's happening outside of you or what's happening inside of you. That's authentic power. I love that. Yeah. I mean, would you describe, I mean, going from this five sensory to multi-sensory and authentic power, kind of a spiritual awakening of sorts? Absolutely. Absolutely. Five sensory humans evolved by surviving and they survived by pursuing external power, the ability to manipulate and to control. Multi-sensory humans evolved by growing spiritually and they grow spiritually by creating authentic power. Mm. Now, I'm not asking anyone who's listening to me to believe anything that I'm saying. In fact, I'm suggesting that you not do that. What I am suggesting is that you see if anything I'm saying resonates with you. And by the way, skepticism is good. Skepticism means, can that be? How could that be? I'm going to see for myself. Cynicism is not good. Is not constructive. Skepticism is. But try on for size anything you resonate with. And if it creates constructive consequences in your life, experiment with it some more. And if it doesn't, throw it away. Now, I suggest you do that with everyone. Don't take as true anything that anyone says, even if they have a television show, even if they've got a PhD, even if they're beautiful and they're the coolest thing ever, even if they've got a pulpit, become the authority in your own life. That's what authentic power is. And here's the bottom line, Nick. Authentic power is not making pain go away. It's becoming aware in your life, not in order to feel good all the time, but to become able to move through your life with an empowered heart 
without yeah. attachment to the outcome. That's authentic power. And that's a that's quite a dance, isn't it? A dance between the ego and the true authentic self. It is more yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's also our evolutionary necessity now. It's our new path. This is how we evolve. The old understanding of power was our good medicine when we were five century, but now it's toxic. It's poison. It's counterproductive to our evolution. Mm -hmm. And the people who are multi-sensory and becoming multi-sensory are not superior or better in any way than people who are still five sensory. This is just a temporary ebb and flow in evolution. Mm -hmm. And we can't even say that authentic power is better in a way than external power. It's just that external power is obsolete. Candle power didn't become bad with the advent of electricity. It wasn't needed anymore. But here, that analogy breaks down because the pursuit of external power now produces only violence and destruction. So if you still hold on to the old values, more recognition, more fame, more admiration, better place, cooler place, women, men, whatever it is you're after, and you use that to try to manipulate others so you'll feel better yourself, you'll only create violence and destruction. Between nations, that's physical violence and destruction. Between people, it's emotional violence and destruction. And you'll find that the only thing that really satisfies you, that gives you meaning, is aligning yourself with your soul. Look at it this way. Consider meaning as a compass as you create authentic power. As you start to move in the direction that your soul wants to move, your life begins to fill with meaning. And as you move in the opposite direction, it begins to empty of meaning. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I have, I have a phrase that I love talking about called following your white rabbit. You know, and it's kind of, it is just that. It's following your soul. It's following your intuition and, and seeing, like, seeing the white, you've seen the, the Alice in Wonderland reference where she sees the white rabbit every time and then like eventually she goes down the rabbit hole like rabbit. leaves the main like leaves the pulpit, of, pulpit of getting married, getting married. and then goes down the rabbit hole which i think it's like about finding it is it's following your soul your soul's work however you want to call it the dynamic is the same <laughs> you can't I'm, I'm what i'm saying is the vocabulary is not important the understanding and the mm. practice yeah. is important what's important is to see the ball, the raw, bare bone structure of self-transformation. You can't change in yourself what you don't know is there to change. Right. Absolutely. And once you know it, you can't change it if you don't decide to change it, if you don't set the intention. Yeah. You can become emotionally aware and just stay there. Some people do, and they're stuck in pain. They say, well, what is this? All I do is I feel pain everywhere. And that's because as you become aware and start to look inside, the first thing you experience is fear. That's pain, pain everywhere. But don't be discouraged because you're becoming human, because your humanness is beginning to awaken. Look at the frightened parts of your personality that are addicted or compulsive or obsessive or enraged or vengeful or superior or inferior, not as your obstacles to spiritual growth, but as your avenues to spiritual growth. They are your experience directly, intimately, 
of the universe showing you a part of your personality that you need to experience intimately, challenge, and move beyond the control of in order to move into your potential, into love. Absolutely. So how would you describe or define personality? So you talk about the personality is that your earth suit programming? Like, you know, how we're, our traumas and all this, the fear and all that stuff gets yes. lodged in our body yes. th- to create yes. our personality? Yes, but it's more than that. That's how your personality is influenced in this lifetime by your family, by society, by whether you lived a all, all those things that we know about. Mm-hmm. Your environment is how they say it now. But when you look at soul, you're looking at a larger picture or sensing a larger picture. Your personality is an energy tool of your soul. It is a part of your soul that is on a mission, so to speak, that incarnates voluntarily into a domain of time and space and matter and duality. That's the Earth School. And you're in the Earth School in this period of time between your birthday and your death day. And once you begin to see in this perspective the question comes up naturally. What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do in that span of time? I would suggest that you align your personality with your soul. But I'm not saying it's a better path. No matter what choices you make in your life, you open doors to learning. Some of the doors lead to more difficult, longer <laughs> roads, and some lead to shorter, more enjoyable roads. But all roads lead to home. How do you choose moment by moment to learn wisdom through fear and doubt or through love and trust? That's the choice we have. That's the same as the choice between the old consciousness and the new consciousness. Between trying to change somebody else to feel better about yourself, you lose the boyfriend, you lose the girlfriend. So to feel better, you go look for another one. That's pursuing external power. And when you find another one, you're exhilarated for a while. Everything is good. It's like riding a roller coaster to the top. But then she leaves. He says, I'm done. And you free fall all the way to the bottom. So the most that you can expect to gain from pursuing external power is temporary happiness. But when you create authentic power, you ignite joy in you. And joy is independent of the external world. And that's the journey you're on. It takes work, it takes commitment, it takes courage, compassion, and conscious communication and action. You can go to our website. Right now, it's an old website. I'm happy to say that in about two months, you'll never be able to see it again. But the one good thing, one good thing about it is, it's got lots of free things on it. The new one will too. But it's got authentic power guidelines. Download them, they're free. They're about, what, what do we mean by commitment and courage and compassion and conscious communication and action. And if you're interested in the things I'm talking about, you can read The Seat of the Soul. And you can also read a book that that's going to be published very soon, Universal Human. And you can take a look at what that's going to look like if you go to universalhuman.com. So the website is seatofthesoul.com, and it will remain that when it's replaced with a newer, supportive website. <laughs> and Universal Human is a, is a pre-order page for the book, but it'll give you an idea of the style of the new website, what yeah. it'll look like, and 
what the book is. Great. Definitely, definitely check that out. So Nick, what brought you to an interest in these kind of things? Because well, we've been talking about a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I went through a whole dark night of the soul probably four, three or four years ago after a breakup in a relationship and then, you know, a struggling business and the two of those combined just kind of hit this fracture, right? For me, and it just created this whole existential questioning of, existence really and understanding you know and it was it was my cosmic brick that that started pushing me into a, a multi-sensory experience in that respect and it was you know a lot of questioning a lot of experimentation finding different modalities like meditation and breath work and reading a lot of books seat of the soul was one of those books that i actually read during that time which was a really beautiful addition to to the journey so definitely made a really big difference and you know then it's been for me it's been rebuilding you know i've i've been a really big fan of plant medicine and psychedelics in in within this journey in a very ceremonial space in a very you know expansive intentional space which has shown me a lot as well <laughs> and and i've experienced some some of the other type, the senses out in those lands as well, which I was going to ask you and get your thoughts. You know, I've experienced through even breath work or meditation, pushing through, especially even in, you know, plant medicine journeys mm -hmm. where I've pushed through the, the construct of language, right? Because we are all living in a construct, a mental construct of, of narrative and language. And, you know, I think part of being multi-sensory is, playing in the the field of energetics beyond narrative right and so this is just something i'm exploring if you you know you follow these movies like the matrix or some of these new sci-fi movies where consciousness or in this five sensory space what i guess you would call intellect right in the book the intellect is the construct and we're constantly creating new narratives as we move through life and have you played above the construct of language and how do you interpret that into the intellect, into the construct to be able to live the life? Does that, is that even make any sort of sense? Oh yes. Oh yes. For me, all of the drugs that I experimented with when I did, and the only plant drugs that I experimented with then at that time were cannabis. I didn't experiment with any of the heavier ones, uh, the more pernicious ones, heroin, for example. I did try crack once, not crack, excuse me, never tried crack. <laughs> okay. And I snorted a line and it made me feel exactly the way I felt when I was writing the Dancing Wooing Masters. Alive, clear, sharp. I wanted to go into something more deeply. And then I thought, well, why should I do this? It hurts my nose and I do this naturally anyway. So that was my experiments with drugs. But then later, I begin to appreciate how important LSD, of course, I experimented with that. And there, the terminology at the time was the importance of set and setting. Mm -hmm. I've come to see now, in a, a more accurate way to say that is the importance of intention. Mm -hmm. And what is intention? Intention is a quality of consciousness that infuses your deeds and your words. And in the earth school, which is a realm of duality, there are only two fundamental bedrock, can't get any deeper intentions. 
love, and fear. Mm-hmm. You can say, well, I, I want to make a million dollars before I'm 27. That's my intention. And you can ask yourself, why? Well, I want to get a Ferrari. Why do you want to get a Ferrari? Because I want women to really be attractive to me. It's going to be a chick magnet. Why do you want a chick magnet? And it goes on and on, but eventually you come down to what is the basis. Everything we've mentioned so far is fear. Well, set and setting is a more blunt way, broad brushstroke way of saying intention. So I'd apply that to all the plant medicine that you're talking about. I haven't had ayahuasca, but I've heard people have good reports about experiences that they've had from it. And I'm saying to you, to everyone, if it moves you in the direction of love, that's a good direction to travel. However, if it is an it, whether it's a drug, a practice, a community, a meditation, be aware. Are you using it as a crutch? Are you using it to help you? For example, my tradition that I was adopted into about 30 years ago is Lakota. And uh, there, part of that tradition is a vision quest. Now, the vision quest, they call it humbalichiapi, crying for a vision, not weeping, but crying out, please, please, why am I here? Tell me, tell me, I need to know. Well, some people get an answer, some don't. But if you do get an answer, then the work begins. Then it's your responsibility to bring that into your life permanently. Mm-hmm. It's similar to what happens with grace. People sometimes experience grace. And in that moment, all of your fear disappears. Mm. Everything is as it would be if you lived in love. And then it goes away. Because that then was your insight into what your life will be without fear. And that's when the work begins, to make that experience of grace a stabilized, ongoing experience in your life. So in all of this, intention is critical, fundamental, essential. There's no way to say it. It is the most important thing. What is your intention for what you're saying? What is your intention for what you're doing? I'm creating a podcast too. That's why I'm going to talk to you later and see what you can tell me how to do it. My intention is to share these things that we're sharing right now, and particularly about the universal human. Mm -hmm. Because the universal human emerges from an authentically powerful human. So creating authentic power is not a shortcut or a fast track to the universal human. It's a requirement. And universal humanity emerges from an authentically powerful humanity. So are there any universal humans on the earth now? No. No. Universal human is our next is the next step in human evolution. And beyond that is beyond human. But there are emerging universal humans yeah. appearing everywhere. And those are the ones I want to talk to. That's why I'm talking to you, Nick, and to our listeners. Yeah. These are the people that I want to invite. And by the way, I enjoy talking to everyone. It's, it's, it's not a closed community. I'm not going to not talk to you because you're not an emerging universal human. But if you don't understand the word that I'm saying, 
I don't think you'd be a good guest on, podcast, <laughs> on Nick's podcast. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. So at what point does some, what, if there's no universal humans at this moment, what is that point? What, at what point does one reach total universal human? And then where does it go beyond that? It's not possible to describe a universal human to a multi-sensory human the way it's possible to describe a five-sensory human to a multi-sensory human. Because you can describe to a five-sensory human a multi-sensory human in terms of behavior. But you can't do that. You can't describe the consciousness of a universal human to a multi-sensory human. But I can tell you some things about a universal human. A universal human is authentically powerful. That's what we just said. Mm-hmm. A universal human is beyond culture, beyond religion, beyond nation, beyond ethnic group, beyond gender. A human whose allegiance is to life first and all else second. For example, if I were a universal human, I would say, I am a universal human first and a male second. I'm a universal human first and an American second. I'm a universal human first and white second. I'm a universal human first and a grandfather second. Everything is second to life, life. So even while we are in this second stage of our evolution from five century to multi-century, from the understanding of power as control and manipulation to the understanding of power as alignment of your personality with your soul. Even while we are on this second stage, our evolution is happening so fast that the third stage of our evolution, universal human, becomes not visible, but a part of our awareness, like a premonition. Mm-hmm. You know, have you... When I was on my vision quest, and often when I'm up at dawn, before light appears, before you can see anything, you can, you can feel it. You can, there's something. Something is moving. Something is happening. It's something great, something huge. That's the dawn. It's coming. But the sky is still black, and the stars are still sparkling white. But you get you a premonition. That's what we have of the universal human as we become authentically powerful, multi-sensory humans. And emerging universal humans are beginning to appear everywhere, as I've said. So if you feel that you're an emerging universal human, if, you, if you're multi-sensory, which we started off by talking about, if you feel any of those things that I've said, yeah, that's, that, that, sounds like a, that sounds like I. I don't want to be confined by my race. There is no such thing as race. There's only fear. There's differences in appearance. I don't want to be confined by my religion. In fact, I'm not sure I want a religion. And I'm not saying this in any way to disparage the millions of people who find comfort in religion. Continue to look for the comfort. But don't necessarily follow the rest. Become the authority in your life to the extent that you can. We can talk about religions at another time, but Every religion is based around a kernel of universal truth, like love for Christianity or Catholicism. But the institution itself is the opposite of that. It pursues external power. Yeah. So all of these things are part of 
universal human part of where we're going. The universal human book, by the way, also talks about our disintegrating social structures and why they're disintegrating. They're disintegrating because, because they don't have a foundation anymore, because our social structures are built on, reflect, express, embody, teach external power. Mm-hmm. All of them. Commerce, governance, education, health, well, jurisprudence, all of them. And they are all becoming dysfunctional and salvage value. Some of them are not broken. They're just obsolete. And they are being replaced by social structures that reflect the values, not of the personality in pursuit of external power, but the values of the soul mm-hmm. and authentic power. Yeah. And the book looks into each of those social structures, not to say, this is how it will be. I can see the future. But to help you and me and you, Nick, and everyone's listening to us become co-creators in the future. And the future begins not by becoming above the intellectual construct. The intellect is part of the old consciousness. And it's not designed or equipped or able to communicate or articulate multisensory perception. The path that you've that led you to plant medicine is a well-worn path. When the pain becomes too unbearable to you, you can't take it anymore. That's when most people consider a spiritual path as an alternative. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying to everyone else, and by the way, that's that's largely my path too, because the first decades of my life were in pain. And it wasn't because of this breakup or that breakup. <laughs> they were serial breakups. I couldn't, <laughs> even though I can see myself now as uh, someone who was self-absorbed, always concerned for himself, exploiting other people, would not want to have me as a partner. <laughs> <laughs> but it came as a painful, painful experience as the breakup occurred. So my point is that you don't have to go through all of that. If you're listening, everyone has because the Earth School is a time and an opportunity to become aware of the frightened parts of your personality. And I suggest that you never repress or suppress or deny an emotion in any way. And that includes any kind of consciousness altering effect, whether it's an ibuprofen or it's LSD or it's ayahuasca first. What is your intention? What is your intention for doing it? And secondly, what are you going to do when you see the larger vision? How then are you going to use it? You will not go back to the confines of your intellect. That's part of the old consciousness. And the new consciousness takes you far beyond that. It takes you into the higher order logic of reasoning and understanding of the heart. Mm -hmm. And that then becomes the domain. And you don't, in my experience, you don't go above the world in any way. You go into the world. It becomes more, more rich and deep. And you become more rich and meaningful and deep. And you look for others who also 
no longer want to blame their experiences on others or the world and are looking for relationships of substance and depth. And that brings you to Spiritual Partnership, which is the book that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. It's a natural progression. Your old friends start to lose their interest in you because your interest is different than theirs. And you become interested in others. And you begin to see why. All of this is part of the new consciousness. It's the way we evolve now. And if you don't believe anything I'm saying, and you don't even experiment with anything, and you do the opposite in every way, it's not just that you're doing something bad, you just won't change. Mm -hmm. And if you like the life that you're living, if you like the pain you're in, it won't change until you change. But if along with that life of, by the way, I didn't think I was in pain at the time, I knew I was angry, I knew that I was out of control when it came to sex. And I drew to me exactly the same people. I never forced anyone or imposed myself on anyone. On the contrary, the women I was drawing to me wanted me as much as I wanted them for the same reason. I meant nothing to them, just as they meant nothing to me. Once I saw that, this manly pursuit of mine didn't look so manly anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's it something like, looking at my fingers when I stopped smoking years ago and saw the nicotine on them. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought that I was manly smoking, whether it was a Marlboro or a Galois, but it wasn't. It was just a way of saying, please, look at me. Yeah, I'm worth caring about. And I wouldn't have used the language in that time, but I would have said loving. But if you're loving, you don't need anybody to plead to love you. When you love yourself, when you're compassionate with yourself, that's good medicine that you give to yourself and you give to others at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, no matter how you get there, is a choice. It's always a choice, but the basic choice is love or fear. Mm-hmm. So that's really so what I came on your show to share, Nick, and, and the rest of it is detail. Actually, the rest of the explanation is detail, which I love talking about because it's all real for me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's all real for everyone who's alive. Yeah, but yeah. how you, for example, challenge a frightened part of your personality, that there are limitless ways you can go for a walk. Maybe you're enraged. Maybe you have a sexual craving. Maybe you, can't, you, you, you need to gamble. Maybe you need to have a fix. There's lots of ways you can challenge that. You can call a friend, a spiritual partner. Don't call a friend. That's not going to help. <laughs> They'll sympathize with you. Mm. They'll tell you about their own problems, but they won't say, are you talking from fear? Are you talking from love? Where are you coming from? Yeah. Where do you want to go? But one of the ways you can challenge is to read a psalm from the Bible or read a sutra or listen to the Bhagavad Gita. See what Krishna has to say if that brings you peace. Watch a candle. <laughs> Breathe, hug a tree. I'm a tree hugger. (laughs) I love that. But use that to take you where you want to go. Here's a way you can consult your intuition. Here's a foolproof way to consult intuition. Intuition, by the way, is the voice of the non-physical world. Mm. It's the voice of your teacher or teachers. That's with a capital T, a non-physical dynamic not a bro 
in non-physical reality. A non-physical teacher knows everything about you. A non-physical teacher can share with us the compassion and wisdom that, that are beyond what we can share with one another. Now to access that, if you're not sure of your intention before you speak or act, ask yourself, what is my intention? Mm-hmm. And listen, and you will not be alone in your answer. Do you have time for one more question or? Well, I do, I do indeed. And this is particularly interesting to me because we talked in the book, the Universal Human book, you talk about beyond gender. And this is something I've been really deconstructing a lot lately in my life, A, because I have a friend, a really dear friend of mine who transitioned into a non-binary identifying character. And, you know, and their idea is that is, is, is kind of exactly this, that, you know, we are beyond our physical sex gender, right? Like, I was just curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, kind of this new movement of non-binary and, and different pronouns, I say pronouns, but the idea of mm. beyond just male, female, even new male, new female, like you talk about in the book, what beyond is this? Man. Yes. Yeah. What's beyond that? And how does that play into where the new consciousness is going? What is beyond it? can be something good. It depends upon intention. But what you're describing is also a reflection of the new consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's emerging. Five sensory humans think that there is an unbridgeable divide between male and female because females can have children, bear children, and males can't. And the old male's fulfillment is in providing and protecting, and the old female is bearing and raising children. But now, as we become multisensory, we begin to see the gender, that it's not like that at all. That gender is a personality aspect. In other words, your personality was chosen by your soul with your guides and teachers to accomplish the goals that it set for itself in the coming incarnation. You may have incarnated as a Japanese and to participate in the evolution of that culture. As a professor, you don't incarnate as a professor, but you incarnate with those inclinations, those longings to express yourself, not as a musician, not as an athlete, not as a performer, not as a singer, but as someone who deals in concepts and sharing the beauty of them. Gender is another personality aspect. A person, a soul that incarnates as a male enables certain experiences that are necessary or could be beneficial or helpful for experiencing the lessons that it needs to learn. And the same with incarnating as a female. Mm -hmm. But male and female is not a divide anymore, an unbridgeable divide any more than black skin, white skin, intellectual, athletic, artistic. I hope I'm conveying this as simply and beautifully as it is. Your gender to a five-sensory human is a part of who you are. To a multi-sensory human, it's an aspect of your personality. Some personalities have parts that are aspects that are angry. Some have aspects that are feeling 
inferior in needing to please. Some have aspects that are outgoing, robust. Some are sharing naturally, some are not. And all of this has to do with a mixture of loving and frightened parts of your personality that make up the personality that is you. And as you become multi-sensory, you begin to see that personality differently. And you see that your anger is not coming from the unchangeable ground of your being. You have other parts of your personality and you can choose them too, such as a loving or a joyful part or a caring part. Same thing. This is why gender has no role in spiritual partnership. Spiritual partnership is a partnership between equals for the purpose of spiritual growth. And that is why it plays no role. Gender plays no role in the creation of authentic power. It's not important in the least, just as the ability to be an intellectual or a carpenter plays no role in your spiritual development. None. In the same way, it plays no role whether your genitals are male or female, whether the people that you want to be with are male or female, whether you look at yourself as a male or female or as unbound by anything in the earth school. Mm -hmm. The only thing about you in the earth school and anywhere else that is unbound is your love. And the only way to experience that is to take those things that bind it away. The love itself is not bound. It is. There's nothing that is not love. But your awareness is what binds you. And the parts of your awareness of your personality that bind you, confine you, constrict you, cause the experiences of pain and distance and separation are fear. They're all forms of fear. And I've been calling them fear-based parts of your personality. This is all of one thread. It's only a fear-based part of your personality that says, I need to escape this prison of my sex. Once you've escaped it, you don't need to escape it anymore. You are it. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to justify it. You don't have to see how you can best express it. You do. You are it. As you create authentic power, you become the authority in your own life. Everything. Thank you. And by the way, when I say thank you, I always say thank you to the universe because <laughs> what I'm sharing with you is not mine. I do not have a paternity in it. It was my skill as a writer, my love of language, my fascination with concept that allowed me to co-create this. Without you, your non-physical teachers cannot impact upon the earth. You are the pencil. And the earth, the earth school is the paper. If you decide to withdraw into heroin, into sex, into gambling, into feeling superior, you make no impact upon the earth. You create only continual painful consequences for yourself. The Buddhists call this samsara, the wheel of samsara. Hindus call it Kali. But when you begin to create authentic power, which you can do now, you can do that now. It's doable. It's doable in this lifetime. But it takes courage and compassion and commitment and just communication and action. So 
I suggest if I can support you anyway, I will. We're creating a new website. As I mentioned, it's to support you. The old one is a brochure. It tells about events and things like that. The Universal Human Podcast will be for you too. It's dedicated to emerging universal humans. And any events that Linda and I give, same thing. And we're learning now how to create events that are accessible to people around the world who can't afford the time or the money to come to a place in the United States to participate in an in-person event. I love them and I'll be there at them. But if you can't be there at them, we'll either bring them to you or we'll put it online. And not just porting it on the line. You can't do that. It doesn't work. I, I thought, well, this is, this is great. Pandemic's nothing. We'll just give an in-person event and we'll put it on Zoom. It doesn't work that way, I discovered. Just if I thought about it for a few minutes, we bore people silly. This has got to be thought out so that people don't get screen fatigue, so that they interact frequently in meaningful ways. So they're not just looking at PowerPoints. We don't even use that. This Because this is not a conceptual thing. How can you explain what plant medicine does to you? You can't. But you can live it. You can model it. You can share it. Now we come to how will you share it? If your sharings are from love, it's to share the beauty that you've seen, then you will. If, however, you are attached to people experiencing the beauty that you've seen and your way of seeing it, you're pursuing external power. You're trying to change the world to make yourself feel better. If you are sharing with an empowered heart without attachment to the outcome, there's no way to know what you can give to the world because it's unlimited. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Gary, thank you so much. I, mean, there's, I have so many more. We could keep going for hours, but I want to respect your time. And I just want to acknowledge you for the what you're doing in this world and, and how you're impacting people and you've impacted my life. And I'm grateful for that as well. So thank you. You're very welcome, Nick. It's a joy to talk to you. I've enjoyed it very much. You as well. And is there? do you have social channels that people can follow you? All of them, I think. Uh, I'm not so good on social media myself. Most Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have those. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for coming on again. You're welcome, Nick. Thank you all for tuning into today's episode of the Onkin Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and it was exciting to have Gary on the show. And if you enjoyed today's episode with Gary, I would love it if you could help us out by sharing this episode out over at onkin.co slash Gary Zukov. Tag me on Instagram at Nick Onkin at Onkin Radio. If you want to share that as well, would love it, would appreciate it. This podcast is out of my own pocket. It's a labor of love and of service. So if you enjoyed it, help us out by leaving us a good review as well over an Apple podcast or wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, we're on there, we're on SoundCloud and all the things. So you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>